Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Got a great show for you this week. We've got some exciting information coming up in the world of Comic-Con. Going to talk about that a little deeper in the show, but our guest today is going to be on from Fan Expo, telling us about what's up with that. In addition to that, we're going to be talking about cell phone carriers. Did you know that you can do things other than the big three? We're going to have that coming up here in a little bit as well. So, got a great show coming up this week. Stay tuned. And with no further ado, let's go to the news. Don't miss Mud Puddles Toys and Books Annual Super Sale Saturday, August 21st. The entire store is 20% off for one day only. Support our young entrepreneurs from 10 a.m. till noon at our kids-only flea market. We are your neighborhood toy store, and we believe in the power of play. So what is in the news? New Intellivision game console delayed. So we're seeing all the old brands coming back. There's an Atari Uh VCS back on the market in television. A new creator is uh, making a console that has, again, a kind of a look and feel of the old system. If uh, you remember in television, and a lot of people don't, but if you do, it had the controllers that were square that had a slot in the top of the console with the keypads. The new system actually kind of looks like that. Instead of a keypad, there's actually screens in each of the controllers. Hmm. So it's definitely a much more modern design, obviously. But uh, Mm -hmm. again, I was also seeing that they're making a Commodore Amiga Mini. Really? So that's coming back on the market. So it's interesting. I want a ColecoVision. Yeah, ColecoVision. That's one I haven't heard about. So if any of our listeners have heard about them remaking ColecoVision, let us know, because I'd love to look at that. Yeah, well, remember, those those controllers, you had the little joystick at the top, and you had the the number pad at the bottom, and each game had a little insert for the number pad, so you could change what it was. If it was a touchscreen, that would be pretty damn cool. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. (laughs) And I think, you know, where they're going with this type of stuff, the overlays were something that constantly got lost. I had that on my Atari 5200, and they made it for the Intellivision as well, where they had these overlays that went in. Even the Atari 2600 had that. There's an easy solution to that. If the overlays got lost, you, you, you sell it with a fancy, pretty box that would organize all of them so they didn't get lost. That works. And there you go. And, you know, it's just a matter of kind of keeping on top of stuff. So the Intellivision remake is being delayed until the end of the year is what they're looking like, possibly even the first part of next year. There are pre-orders out on this, so they're sending information. If you've pre-ordered, you hopefully know about it by now. But either way, it's kind of interesting to see where this stuff's going. And another thing on this topic, and Jeremy, I'm sure you're going to like it, is the Atari system, the new one, which is also called a VCS, which is designed to be a control console for your living room. They're Mm. coming up with an Atari blockchain, so I'm sure you're going to be investing in that right away. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What's our next topic? Exoskeletons becoming a reality. All right, so on the continuing list of sci-fi here. Mm, robo. <laughs> and in fact, one of our listener questions later has to do with if this is going to go to Iron Man. So we'll dig into that, into this a little bit deeper later in the show. But exoskeletons are something that have been in development for a while. Military use definitely being one of them. But there's a lot of civilian options for this, too. And one of them is for contractors. Another one is for people that work in warehouses. What an exoskeleton is designed to do is augment your ability. So you can pick up stuff that's heavier and save your back, that kind of thing. And there's a lot of other features that can go into these things too. Some of the 
more advanced features that they're looking at making are quality of life, eventually getting to the point if someone can't walk, perhaps with the exoskeleton, they would be able to, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of reason for a technology like this. There's several companies out there that make them, Studex being one of them, if you want to check them out. And they're not the only one, but a number of different things like that out there where you can check into these things. Now, right now, if you want one, you do need to open up your checkbook. Yeah, of course. Uh, these can be expensive. And when I say expensive, in the range of 30 grand plus. Wow. Mm. There's also two kinds of exoskeletons, a passive and an active. The passive augments without any kind of a power pack or motors or anything like that, whereas the active one is more kind of the robotic one that you would think of that actually has all of those kind of features and does have to be powered. Of course, the lifting capability of the robotic one is quite a bit greater than the passive one, but the passive ones are still enough to save a lot of backs. (laughs) And that's just a starting point, and I think a very good one. Wizard World and Fan Expo team up. Tell us about that. So we're actually going to find out about this a little bit later in the show. In fact, one of our interviews today is with the PR director from FanX, and they're cool. going to be talking about what's going on here. Wizard World is a Comic-Con that we've gone to for years. We love it. It's always mm-hmm. been great. It's gone through different iterations, and we've seen it kind of bigger and smaller and everything else, but they've always been about the fans, and they've always been really easy to work with and a fun thing to go to. Yeah, they so, have been really fun to work with. Yes, they have. I, I, I've i just really enjoyed all the people from them, and it seems like uh, Fan X is no difference, or Fan Expo, I'm sorry. Fan X and Fan Expo, if we want to talk the full name there. So we're going to have an interview with that coming up here in a little bit. Robot lawyers are about to become a reality. Yes, I, I can understand kind of going here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is a cross-development thing between robotics and AI, machine learning, all of that kind of stuff. And where this is headed is the idea that legal advice is kind of a static thing. So being able to look up information and that type of thing, you can do that now on the internet. Most of the law and code, at least here in the United States, is online one way or the other. But the question I know that I've always had with it is this idea of legalese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and reading it and then understanding what it's trying to tell you. And I know, Gretchen, it, you've run into this. Yeah, it's almost like trying to read code, and uh, and it's frustrating, and then you get lost in the variations of how they're trying to describe things in a technical way. And, yeah. um, and then on top of it, if you're dyslexic, like myself, and you have one of those moments where the dyslexia is just going crazy because you're stressed out because you're reading something legal, then it really just kind of turns into a jumbled mess. Right. <laughs> right. And it just, uh, you know, all the way around, the ease of understanding has always been a big deal. And I know part of that uh-huh. is to try to keep it exact. Right. Or the other argument is, this is the reason they do that is to make it so that the general population can't understand it. Yeah. You know, so whichever side of that is true, and I think the reality is probably a little bit of both, really, Uh is a situation that the idea of using AI and robotics with this, at least for the easy legal questions, could in a lot of ways replace the need for an attorney. And lawyers are expensive, and I have nothing against the profession. I think it's actually a very honorable one most of the time. But it is something that if you need legal advice and you don't have the $200 an hour or whatever it is to be able to go out there, this would be a way to be able to get an answer to these type of things. Now, as far as legal stuff has gone, there's been software on the market to do certain things for many years. 
So your basic documents, that kind of thing, like a non-disclosure agreement or something, you can actually buy software to do that. But I found that these things still need to be reviewed. And I know that all three of us, when dealing with other parts of the acting community, have found that those contracts are, well, insane, (laughs) would be the word I would use. (laughs) Multiple layers of deeply in-depth into things that don't really concern us. But if we were in a different part of the field, it would. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and there's a lot of history involved, yeah. too. A lot of history, and there's a lot of need for it. Um, one time, actors were treated very badly, so there's a reason behind all of that. Oh, yeah. But it still creates a situation where, to try and read through all of that, a standard agreement for a television commercial can be over 100 pages, easily. Mm-hmm. So having the ability to get advice on all of that, in a way that didn't break the bank is a necessity. So I can kind of see where this type of thing will become a reality. So we'll see how far that goes. New breakthrough could lead to flexible electronics. Yeah, I am in nanotechnology here. And this is something that's coming up, a printed circuit board, which in a lot of cases is literally printed by the manufacturer, but they are plastic and if you bend them, they break. So this causes a problem with a lot of electronics that it is not something that can take a lot of abuse. So the way that they work around that on a tablet for kids or something is by putting it in a rubber or a case that can take the being dropped and that type of thing. But really, if there was a way to eventually make the guts of it flexible, which is where this is going, it could make a huge difference in the longevity of these things. So if you have a flexible board and you drop it, and it just flexes and everything's fine, that's going to be a lot different than if it's rigid and breaks in half or cracks. Yeah. So this is something that is a direction that they're going in. They've had a breakthrough where they can actually print what they're calling nanowires into the printed circuit board. And what this allows to do is keep the flexibility in there. There's going to be some other components of this that are going to be necessary to work out to make the thing work completely as they want it to. But it is definitely a step in the right direction. This is User-Friendly 2.0. After the break, we're going to have a great conversation about cell phones. Did you know there's other providers out there than just the big three? We're going to talk about that. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Interesting topic that's been coming up, and it has to do with cell phone providers. And earlier, T-Mobile and Sprint merged. That's been a thing in the news in the past, which has taken the big ones down to three, Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile. But there are actually smaller cell phone providers out there, and there's a, a lot of different choices when this comes to it, but they don't necessarily run their own networks. So how does this all work? One of the ones that you might have heard about is being offered by your cable company. Both Comcast and Charter are offering cell phone services. You can go there and buy a phone. Other ones, Boost Mobile may have been one that you've heard of. Visible, which is not one that I had heard of. Mint Mobile. I've Uh, heard of Mint. We've heard of Mint and Visible because they run commercials. Okay, so, and they're, like I say, they're out there. They're just two brands that I hadn't hadn't heard of. Another one that we do use is Google Fi, which falls under this. And What happens in most of these situations is, no, they don't run their own network. They pay for time and access on one of the big providers' networks. So Mint Mobile, as a for example, has access to T-Mobile's network. So if you're using Mint, you're really doing your call on T-Mobile. 
So as long as T-Mobile has things like 5G access where they are, you'll have 5G access. And that's hmm. how that comes down and that, how that works. Now, Google Fi, which is a little bit different, uses T-Mobile, Sprint, and U.S. Cellular. Sprint being gone now is primarily T-Mobile as well, although U.S. Cellular is still out there. Same thing on 5G. Now, I know on my phone I get 5G. Jeremy and Gretchen, I don't know if you do. I haven't seen it. No. Okay, so uh, and you're still running on your Pixel 3, so they may not even be able to do it. Yeah, I right. don't think our phones can. So I don't know. Now, one thing about Google is there is a bit of a, um, uh, let's say, you know, adversary between Google and Apple. So, oh, so that's slightly, yeah. So the question becomes, what about an iPhone? Well, they do have the ability to have an iPhone on Google Fi, but it would not have access to 5G. So there's some limitations from that standpoint. Google Fi also has the ability to go and buy what are called Fi-friendly phones that will work with their technology directly. Other companies like Visible uses Verizon as their carrier. So what does this all mean? And why wouldn't you just go with the mainstream competitors? You know, good question to ask on that. And a lot of what it is is different ways that the mobile bandwidth is sold. So where on some networks you might need to pre-qualify with credit to get a monthly bill, others you can prepay, that type of thing. Those are some of the differences. And there's other things that are out there too in features, costs of phone all that kind of thing. And there's a lot of people that just would prefer to use a smaller company, although unfortunately they use the big ones at the end of the day. So it so, might be the working who they're working with. True. Yeah. Because some of the smaller companies might be more likely to answer the phone or the email or the text or whatever the deal is. Well, sometimes you feel lost in the bigger companies. It's interesting because what you're saying is is spot on with that. There's a lot of differences in things like customer service. And the telecommunications industry has some of the worst customer service records in some situations of any business that there is. We've seen some of the controversies in the past from the cable companies. And the same thing happens with the, with the mobile phone companies sometimes too. So there might be a desire to use something where you have a little different customer service, that type of thing. And again, offerings and, and that stuff. I know one of the reasons why we like Google Fi is because it does use multiple networks. If one doesn't work well in the area you're in, it has a backup in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always been nice. So so smartphone technology is something that seems to progress every year. And I'm now on a Samsung, uh, what is it, Galaxy Note 20. Mm-hmm. And I know you are both running on a Pixel 3, which they seem to still work pretty good. Yeah, I've been really happy with it. So, you know, it's a matter of what we need. Now, I know we were all on a Motorola phone before that, which didn't work so well, Right. um, to put it mildly. So there is a lot of difference in the technology that's actually out there and the way that things work. So a big part of this comes down to amounts of money that you want to spend, who Mm -hmm. you want your plan to be with, and stuff like that. One of the other things, too, is that phones can be very expensive. Now, the Pixels are a good three $400 price range, depending on what version and what type and all of that. I know that the Samsung phone, like what I have, was about double that, actually two and a half times that. So you have a huge difference in that. And I don't know, the difference in what you pay for is basically what your needs are, kind of what you're doing with the mobile phone. And this is part of what this comes down to. If you want a phone strictly for the purpose of making a phone call, you don't need the high-end stuff, but it's a little right. bit weird to just want to make a phone call with your phone. <laughs> yeah, I actually haven't seen anybody actually just making phone calls. There's all kinds of other things going on. 
yeah, it just uh, apps and different things like that that you can do on a smartphone and what they're able to do varies. Uh, And it's also important that if you do buy an expensive phone, at least in my mind, is that you have a carrier that doesn't trash it, you know, like downgrade it, do software weird things to it to ruin it. I had a Samsung. I absolutely loved it. And then the carrier that we had decided to send up what I would call malicious upgrades that made it not work right anymore. There was nothing wrong with the physical phone. It was the carrier. Yeah. So this, Now this is a radio, so I'm doing the air quotes here. Upgrade. Uh, um, yes. <laughs> we yeah, I was trying to be nice. That. It was one of the big three carriers, and uh-huh. we did this. And uh, we actually went in and were told point blank by their employee, yeah, that happens sometimes that they are trying to disable the phone or reduce its capabilities so that you'll go in and buy new. And that just made me so mad. I will never use that company again. Yeah. And and that's the way that a lot of people feel. I mean, this is not good customer service and you're looking at an investment. I mean, when you think about it, a high-end mobile phone costs more than a laptop computer now. Yeah. And if you put it in those terms and think about that's really where it is, uh, average laptop computer is five six hundred dollars. If you want one with the high graphic card and all of those things, you'll spend about a thousand, and you can easily spend that on a cell phone, mm-hmm. without even thinking twice about it. So one of the other things that's important to also consider on this is the idea of insurance on your phone, mm-hmm. and this is something I do advise everybody to check out. Now the carriers, most of them offer an insurance plan that's a monthly fee, but there's a lot of times the ability to get a better deal out there. And if you look around companies like Square Trade, I just use them as an example, not to endorse them, but they're one that offers this and others do where you can buy insurance plans on phones. It costs less and they'll cover us, cover them as well. So send us your questions on your cell phones. Great topic. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the section of the show where you ask questions and we give you answers. At least we endeavor to. How do you send us your questions? That's a good question. We'll start there. 503-766-6264 is our phone number. 24-7. Give that a call. One user-friendly on Facebook or Twitter. Or go to our website, userfriendlyshow.com. What questions do we have this week? Did Musk insist to be CEO of Apple? Yeah, interesting listener question. Did a little digging on this, and this was something that was, I think, a rumor started due to an article in Forbes magazine, but it might have actually gone on before that. And what it has to do is with this idea that Apple may want to produce cars, electric cars. And a while back had approached Tesla when they were having some trouble with the three series that they're doing about acquisition. And Musk, at least the idea that was presented here, insisted that the only way that he would come into Apple would be as if he could take over as CEO. Now, he denies doing that. And in fact, they've been going back and forth on a lot of things. And um, he's weighing in on some of the different things that are going on with Apple right now on some other factors. So that seems to be more the direction that they're going. But uh, he uh, he definitely says that he did not want to sell in the company. He denies even talking to him about it in any seriousness. So just an interesting thing there. He's, what he's worried about right now 
is that Apple's fees for App Store purchases uh, amount to a global tax on the internet, as he calls it. Hmm. Would it be possible to make a real Iron Man suit? So we talked about this in the news a little bit, that they're starting to have exoskeletons that are being designed for contractors. And this is something that's interesting to look at kind of where the technology is right now. This is new. There's two kinds of exoskeleton suits that are on the market. They're all very expensive. When I say that in the neighborhood, about $35,000 on up. And a lot of them are definitely what I would consider to be a prototype. But looking at the idea of Iron Man, specifically in the context of this question, you do have robotic exoskeletons that can add a lot of the features that you would see in something like the comic book character. The other thing that does exist, believe it or not, is a jetpack. And this is something they're actually having problems with it at LAX that somebody keeps flying around in the flight paths on a jet. Yeah, I've seen that in the news. So this is a thing. I mean, you know, it it is out there and it exists. Again, very rudimentary. It doesn't look or act like the one that you would expect out of a comic book. There's a stand you stand in, all those kind of things to make it work. But we are definitely headed in that direction. So from a very basic standpoint, a lot of the features that would be in the Iron Man suit do actually exist. However, the ability to power them, we don't have an arc reactor yet that you can get cybernetically implanted. So all of these things Mm. do have to run off other energy sources like batteries or fuel of some kind. Uh, The jetpacks use usually a a solid disk fuel, which is limited and very expensive. So like anything else, the tech is starting to be out there. This is something that could be realized, I think, in a few years. It's something that, strictly speaking, on the table right now, we could probably map out if we wanted to. But I don't see you going to the big box store and buying this type of an exoskeleton for the holidays this year. Are there desalination plants in California? Yeah, hard word, desalination there, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, I kept wanting to say desalinization, but well, I don't know. I, yeah. I think that might be a different thing. But anyway, yeah. the, uh, so question from a listener in California. Again, a good question because West Coast, we are in drought, up and down the Serious coast. Serious drought. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, they're actually having problems in some cities where they're starting to not have water in the tap. So this is quite a serious thing. And water security is what it's called in the mainstream is a big deal and obviously becoming more important or sought, not really important, but sought after as the drought continues. So desalinization, California coast, right on the ocean. Yes, there are these kind of plants. In fact, there's 11 of them in operation right now. So they are definitely out there. Now, this does not come cheaply. They are very expensive to run. But the question that one puts on it is, what is the value of having water security? Is it mm-hmm. worth doing? And the answer to that is, well, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think so. We'd like to have food. Yeah, we'd like to have food. <laughs> these, I mean, what's going on in these areas is very, very scary. You bring up the farmers and these type of things, and they're having to make choices on what crops to grow. They're actually having some problems where in the middle of the night, people will come onto their farms and steal water just because it's becoming such a a valuable and rare resource. So this type of thing, I think, is something that we'll see continue, even though it is expensive to create a desalinization plant and it's expensive to run one. But you do get clean water. So it is something that's important. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Great to have you back here with us. Got some interesting information about some stuff that's going on with World, Wizard World and Fan Expo. Now, Wizard World is a Comic Con that all three of us have gone to for many years. We love it. It's always a lot of fun. We love to do the cosplay and everything else. And it sounds like there's going to be some stuff, that's exciting stuff going forward. So joining us now is Andrew Moyes, who is with Fan Expo, that's going to tell us about it. Number one, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, everyone. Hello. So what's going on? <laughs> Let's just start. Well, a very exciting day for us uh, at Fan Expo and, of course, for the new members of our Fan Expo family. Uh, as announced today, six of the largest Wizard World events are joining our portfolio. So as of 2022, they are going to be rebranded um, as Fan Expo. And one of them, of course, includes Portland. Yes, I was seeing that when I when I saw the announcement that came out about this. So that's going to be kind of cool. Can you tell us a little bit about what people can expect? What are some of the differences? What are some of the similarities? Yeah, well, I mean, all those core elements that everyone knows and loves when it comes to uh, the Comic-Con, the community, the cosplay, the celebrities. But we're really excited about infusing even greater heights. You know, when you get to this sort of scale, I think it means that we can bring even we can get even more exclusive access to sort of superstar talents. I think with such a, a big menu of events, more international brands will want to engage and we can sort of leverage even more innovative experiences because we have so many different platforms that we can deliver them on. So I think that element of scale is going to feed into a better, uh, more exciting experience for all fans uh, that attend what will now be our 17 events across North America. So I want to talk to you about platforms here in a little bit. But before we go there, I know that Fan Expo has been a huge producer of these type of events for a while. So this is nothing new for your wheelhouse. So tell us a little bit about what you've been doing in the past, because I know some of these are very big shows. Yeah, I mean, look, Fan Expo Canada, of course, 130,000 attendees over a four-day weekend. Megacon Orlando, 100,000 plus fans. Um, over the weekend. So what we really pride ourselves on is producing multi-genre events. So we don't focus just on one single genre. We really focus on all those key genres, gaming, comics, sci-fi, anime, horror. And we put together an experience that is authentic and true to each of those genres. And so what we've noticed over the years is that Someone comes in as a comic fan and they leave as a comic and a sci-fi fan. So this sort of melting pot of fandoms where everyone is open and excited about celebrating, you know, their core fandom, but also opening themselves up to new fandoms as well. So I think to an extent, that's really what sets our shows apart. You know, that sounds like an absolutely amazing experience to be able to kind of have access to all of these things. And we were going to talk about platforms a little bit, and I know one of the things Wizard World was doing was an online version of the conventions. Well, you know, we've all been having to deal with the pandemic, so we've had to make a lot of changes with that type of a thing. How do you deliver the show? Because I know in-person would be one of them, of course. Yeah, look, we continue to focus on that in-person experience, that live face-to-face -face experience. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of disruption over the past 15 months as we all navigate um, the nuances of shutdowns and reopenings and et cetera. But I think uh, things are starting to come back. We're in Orlando this weekend for a four-day event. 
um, and the fans are super excited about bringing the community back together. So we continue to focus on that live face-to-face experience because based on where these uh, sort of conventions originated, it's about that community connection. It's about making friendships in the lineups as you're waiting for celebrities. It's about weddings and and uh, families that are that are born out of you know speed dating at a comic con and all that sort of stuff. It's those authentic face to face experiences that I think will always be so important uh, for these sorts of events. And um, you know, as we come back safely, they will still continue to have a really really central piece of. Um, of this uh, of this community. So I got to ask you tell me about a wedding at Comic-Con. <laughs> <laughs> it's everything you would imagine and more. I mean we're talking costumes, we're talking spontaneity. Um you know, it's uh I I have to say we we've we've seen it all and um it it really doesn't get much better than that when people choose to make our event part of their really really big day. And I can only imagine that I, just the idea of that. I'm going to have to look that up now. Not something I would have thought of, but it goes to show the flexibility of just being creative, you know? Well, look, yeah, your imagination really is the limit. And again, you know, we're excited about bringing uh, on some really legacy knowledge. Uh, the team members from Wizard are coming over to work with our team, too. So we'll be able to really get the best of both worlds. And as I said earlier, work on those once-in-a-lifetime experiences that, uh, that people will um, be able to come and, and, and uh, enjoy at our events. No, it sounds great. So let's talk about locations. Now, you mentioned Orlando, Florida. We're actually on the air down there, so they'll hear about it. Portland, mm-hmm. Oregon, of course, and we're looking forward to that. And I believe that's in February of next year, if memory serves. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And then uh, California. Usually around some kind of the January, February uh, placement. And we are working on maintaining the date patterns, of course. Okay, cool. So it, so it's similar time. And we'll, we'll firm that up as we get closer, of course. But uh, looking at that and California, I know one of the Wizard World events we used to do was, I think, in Sacramento or the Bay Area somewhere. It was Sacramento mm-hmm. and San Jose. So, right. Uh, so are we still looking at You're going to keep those productions, I would imagine. Well, currently we're looking at these, the sort of the six largest. So, of course, Chicago, which has been around for many, many years and is a great legacy event. Philadelphia, New Orleans, St. Louis and Cleveland um, are, are what we're going to focus on from the outset. And then we definitely have the other markets on our radar okay. and we'll continue to kind of explore those opportunities as we build our momentum. But I think in, to, in, able, in order to be able to harness the opportunity, we've, we're, we're really focusing on these six large shows uh, from the outset. All right. So it sounds like if you're on the West Coast, come to Portland. And it's a beautiful place to go. So I can't, <laughs> I can't sell it enough. <laughs> so it's Portland's the, on the list. It's on the list. I know it's held at the convention center. Very easy to get to every year. We've always had a lot of fun with it. So we've got a little bit of time left here. Let's ask a question. What's your favorite thing in the line of cosplay? A lot of our audience loves that that you've seen. Yeah, look, I mean, it's again being away for 15 months. I'm I'm kind of excited to see what is that key costume. I mean, you always see the Spider-Man, the Wonder Woman. I mean, you have those staples. Um, but I'm excited to see everyone's been consuming so much media you know, these past 15 months while we've been at home. So I'm curious to see what characters have really resonated with the fans because 
you uh, you really um, you know what 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 is popular that's emerged uh, from from this time that we've all been uh, been at home. The other thing that I really love about cosplay is mashup cosplay. You know, mm-hmm. where some people combine two different characters in sort of a mashup way. So um, you know, it's just so creative and so clever. It's it always amazes me at how many hours people put into these really authentic costumes. Um, and, you know, then the show becomes their playground and their stage where they get to, uh, to show it off and celebrate their work with all the, of their community. I can't wait to see some of the stuff that's going to be out this year. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us. And maybe we could have you back when we get a little closer to the Portland show. I'd love that. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week. Absolutely. You know, I love working with Wizard World. I can tell that I'm going to love working with Fan Expo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be awesome. This just sounds like something that's going to be an incredible event. And, uh, you know, I could see them actually being in California very quickly again. But even for just having it in Portland, that's going to be kind of cool to be able to go and check it out. So we will definitely talk about that in a lot more detail when we get closer. And in the uh, break, I looked it up, and the last one that was produced was in February, and then there wasn't one last year, of course, because of all the COVID. Um, but We uh, were at that last one. Was yes, that we last year? Okay, that was right before the shutdown, wasn't it? Right yes. before everything hit the fan. God, it's been so long um, since I've been yep. to a Comic-Con. It feels much longer. We were We were dressed as wizards. That's yeah. right. I, I, you know what? We were I, wizards okay, so, at Wizard World. Yeah, so it was February of last year. Boy, okay. Uh-huh. Well, there you are, and uh, <laughs> guy, oh, I think I'm ready to go to see something live again. I agree with with uh, Andrew completely on that. The yeah. face-to-face mm-hmm. part of this is just something that we've missed. So what, we kind of talked about the, this with him just a little bit, but what do you think you're going to see for costumes? Mandalorians. Okay, Mandalorians from Star Wars. <laughs> we're going to see, see a lot of Mandalorians, the new Boba Fett, old Boba Fett. Uh, the Mandalorian in his Beskar, the Mandalorian in the first season, the first episode outfit. Uh, we're going to see a lot of Bad Batch. Bad Batch and Omega. And Omega. 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 That's right. <laughs> uh, and we're going to see, I'm I'm predicting a lot of Loki. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because and the Scarlet Witch. And you, we're going to see a lot of Loki because there's all the different variants. Variations. So, you you know, can have teams of people dressed up as all the different Lokis exactly. going together. You know? Yeah. Um, there's all, obviously all the stuff from the Scarlet Witch and Vision, and uh, we're going to see um, Captain Amer- or the new Captain America and the Winter Soldier, or the Falcon, um, Falcon Captain America, that's being entertaining, um, all the stuff from that. And there's been a couple of other interesting shows that I just, for the, uh, for the moment, I just can't think of, but I'm thinking of things like The Snake Eyes mm-hmm. and Shang-Chi, mm-hmm. when that finally comes out. Next, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of new movies coming out, and I'm sure people are going to oh, dress Black up as Widow. all the stuff that they've seen. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're going to see some Red Guardians and, and Black Widows yeah. and stuff. Yeah, that'll be yeah. fun. <laughs> no, I think I, I think it's going to be amazing. There's going to be a lot of people that have had a lot of time to put something together. So uh, it, it's definitely going to be cool. So we've talked about exoskeletons today. If I go buy a real one and do some kind of a, a suit to put under it and get a jetpack and can fly around, would that be cheating in a costume contest? 
Uh, depends on what you're actually making the costume look like. Okay. Now well, there you are. It would have to be a custom creation. But well, uh, you could you could put something customized over it, like like a character that flies. Let's say you decide to go for what's that crazy guy that flies around and has the pumpkins and he's green th- goblin. Yeah. Let's say you decide to go for the green hmm. goblin look or whatever. As long as you put all that gear together. And then use the, you know, the tech. The only problem is, is that we don't actually have jetpacks working to this extent yet. And if we did, they put out a lot of heat. Yeah, I don't think that would be compatible with nylon. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. Until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or the station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by wearetechnology.com. Podcast available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.